What is going on, guys? Another Philly Talk episode coming at you. Today we're going to be going over March 2nd through March 8th, and let's get right into it. As always, I'm going to start off with the Eagles, and the biggest thing right now going over the Eagles is their cap situation, because every team has to be cap compliant by March 17th, which is in nine days. So with that, I'm going to go over a lot of the big contracts that the Eagles need to look over, what they're already looking over, and what they might be looking to do with those contracts. So, they already said that they aren't tendering Cameron Johnson's contract, who's the punter. And I mean, you can get a punter anywhere, so I get that. You can get one for cheaper. He did have a very good season, though, but like I said, you can get a punter anywhere. So, I'm not really worried about that. They didn't tender Cameron Johnston, so he will not be coming back. They restructured Darius Slay's deal to save $9 million in cap space. Keep in mind, before any of this was done, they were $43 million down in cap space. So they need to get rid of $43 million before any of this that I'm about to talk about is done. So now let's get into it. They restructured Darius Slay's contract to save $9 million in cap space, which will bring them down to about 34 mil. They restructured Jason Kelsey in order to keep him on the team as after he announced that he is going to be returning, which surprised me because he was contemplating retirement before this season, comes back, plays awfully this season, the entire team. He didn't personally, but the entire team played awfully, and he still comes back. So maybe he thinks that we can win another championship. I don't know. But he's coming back. He announced his return on social media, and so they restructured his contract to keep him on the team. They restructured Alshon Jeffrey's contract and Malik Jackson's contract to use for the post-June 1st cuts, which will split the contracts over two years. So if Alshon Jeffrey is getting $10 million, they'll have to pay 5 mil this year, 5 mil next year, even though he won't be on the team this upcoming year. So they're looking to cut Alshon Jeffrey and Malik Jackson on the post-June 1st cuts. And then... They announced that they're going to be looking to restructure the following contracts. Lane Johnson, who's making $17.85 million. Brandon Graham, who's looking to make $17.93 million. And Brandon Graham, he, what a, what a guy. He has wanted to stay with the Eagles his entire career. He's due to make $17.93 million, And this is the second time he's restructuring his contract to stay with the Eagles. He could have left to go somewhere else to make more money, but he wanted to stay with the Eagles, and he still wants to stay with the Eagles. So he's going to get his contract restructured to stay with us, which I really like because he had a breakout the year this year. He's 33, and he was he had his best season yet. So that should go to show about his future. They're going to be looking to replace, not replace, but restructure Fletcher Cox's contract as he's making $23.9 million this year. Uh, so... They're also going to try to reach a new deal with Derek Barnett. If they exercise his fifth-year option, that's a 10 mil cap hit. And personally, I don't think Derek Barnett is worth $10 million. He's a good player, just not that good yet. So how do they get him back on a cheaper deal? Will they let him go to free agency and then re-sign him? I think that'd be the best option because he's not... He's not a standout player. I don't think someone would take him immediately if they let him go into free agency, especially for a day or two. So then they got to figure out what they're going to do with Marquise Goodwin. 
they either got to renegotiate with him or they just have to cut him. And I think, personally, you can probably cut him. You'll be saving $4.2 million in cap space if you cut him or figure something else out. He didn't play in 2020, and, I mean, that's understandable. He's had issues trying to have a baby forever, and once he finally gets one, COVID hits. So you don't want to. he doesn't want to risk that, and that's totally understandable. So with that, I don't think he's going to play in 2021 either, unless there's a way that they can get the vaccines out to all the players. So I do not see him playing again this year. And I think with all the young talent at receiver that we've just now found out that we had this year, I think that getting rid of him won't really hurt us. So I think that he can go. Uh, and then you got to see what you're going to do with Zach Ertz. Are you going to trade him? Are you going to release him? Are you going to keep him? He's worth 4.7 mil. So I think if you keep him, what do you do with him next off season? Do you re-sign him for a future? And he's going to be 31 next off season. And Dallas Goddard's also going to need a new contract this upcoming season, after this upcoming season. So you got two tight ends that you're going to have to sign, and the only team who really made that work was New England with Aaron Hernandez and Gronk. We all know what happened with Aaron Hernandez, so they didn't really have to worry about that. They're going to have to figure out Brandon Brooks. He's making $14.6 million. And per 94WIP, the Eagles have reportedly discussed trading Brandon Brooks. It'd be good to free up cap space, but at the same time, if you're going all in on Jalen Hurts and you're trying to be, build a team around him and make him better as quickly and as best as you can, why would you trade Brandon Brooks? He's a perennial pro bowler and he's considered to be one of the best guards in football. So that doesn't make sense to me. So maybe the Eagles are just seeing what they can get for him after he's been injured the past two seasons. The seasons that they went to the divisional to play the Saints and lost from one catch, Rip Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, he tore his Achilles during that season, and then he just got injured this past season. So maybe they're just trying to see what they can get for a frequently injured guard. So we'll see what happens there. <sighs> I want to look at take a quick look at next season like we've been doing, just trying to figure out what we're going to look like next season. As Jeffrey Lurie said, it's probably going to be a rebuild season. But anything can happen in the NFC least. I mean, all these teams are awful. So it could be a rebuild season and we could end up in the playoffs again. So number one thing, JP just said he's got some left in the tank. That does not mean that Howie should bring him back. He's long gone. He was injured more than he played last season. He's got to go. You don't have to worry about moving him to right guard or anything. Get rid of JP. He's gone. Let him go somewhere else if he wants to. He needs to retire. He's already he's already nailed down that he's going to the Hall of Fame. So let him go. You got young tackles and Jordan Mailata, Andre Dillard, and Lane Johnson is still doing good. And Jordan Mailata is a swing tackle, so you can play him on the right or left side. So you got good tackles. So let them play and let JP go. And if all these restructures work out like we hope they will and they can find a way to get cap compliant by March 17th, I think we still have a semi-successful first season under Nick Sirianni. You got young talent at wide receiver, tight end, running back, and QB. You got Fulgham, Ward, Jalen Rager. Ward is not a quick receiver like we want for this team, but he's a very good route runner. He's a good short route runner. Gets open in the flats, gets open on those outs. 
really good in the red zone to he'll help you get those clutch catches in the end zone when you need them or in the red zone overall so I like our wide receivers tight end you got Dallas Goddard and Richard Rodgers look strong and we still don't know what we're doing with Ertz running back Miles Sanders you can feed him the ball 15 to 20 times a game through the run game and then you can pass him the ball about five ten times so you he can get upwards of 20 30 touches a game and he'll be good he can't be a workhorse though you can't be giving him 20 25 30 carries in a game 15 to 20 is probably the range you're looking at uh then quarterback Jalen Hurts who looks pretty strong in his last four games he did progressively get worse but we were also looking like we were going for that draft pick as opposed to a playoff spot so with that if we look like we might be actually decent this year do we look to add pieces to help at safety, we could use a little help. you still got McLeod for one more year, who is our really good captain player now. But after that, you really have no experience under him. you got Jalen Mills, who's not really great at safety, but, I mean, he's suitable, I guess. And then after that, you got Kayvon Wallace and Marcus Epps. And Kayvon Wallace, again, he's not a starter this year. He's good in the run game. He played a little bit last year, but he's not quite ready to start. And then you got... Marcus Epps, who's a good coverage safety, but again, still too young, not ready to start yet. So you still got to give those guys another year. So Mills is okay for right now, but you're looking for someone to put behind him. And Malik Hooker's in free agency. Maybe you go after him. He was really good for the Colts. Uh, so you need to start to groom those young guys and get them ready for McLeod leaving and whoever else. At linebacker, you got Singleton, who looks like a really good player from the CFL. And you got Duke Riley, who looks like he's pretty going to be pretty decent. The White Snake, Nathan Gary. He played safety in college, so he's a little bit of a he's a little bit of a quicker linebacker, but he's still not really great in coverage, which is kind of funny being that he was a safety in college. But he needs some improvement and he looks like he'll be a pretty good player for linebacker. TJ Edwards is our best downhill linebacker, but we really have no depth after those four guys. You have no one after them that can really be a game changer in that little center area. So you need to get more linebackers. What do you do in order to fix that? I still think we should draft Micah Parsons, but that's just me. And then at corner, again, no depth. There is nothing. You got Slay after as your lockup outside corner, and again, like He's not even an outside corner. He's more of a slot corner, but he plays outside very well still. But he's getting older. He had his worst season of his career by far last season. And maybe that's just because it was his first year on the team or whatnot. But he needs a little bit of help. You got Avante Maddox, who is more of a slot corner, but he can play out not very well, though. Like, he can play on the outside across Darius Slay if he needs to, but you'd rather him in the slot because he matches up against slot players better. He's also only 5'9", so you put him up against a Devontae Adams, or even though that'll be Slay's job, you put him up against a Alan Lazard. Basically, if you face any team who has a decent second receiver after their number one receiver, like the Falcons, for example, you got Julio Jones, who would be Darius Slay's coverage, and then you got Calvin Ridley. You're not going to beat that. Avante Maddox is not going to be able to stop that. So you want to get another outside corner. And the good thing, though, is you still have Mills in your back pocket if you need to. Because if you remember when we played the Cowboys the second time, 
Michael Jaquette was getting smoked, and it took Jim Schwartz way too long to put Mills in back at corner. But he ended up doing it, and Mills started to shut down Michael Gallup a little bit. So you need more depth at corner, safety, and linebacker. Those are really the, our three like biggest issues on the team, I'd say. Not even just on defense, but on the team. I like our offense. We're really young. We're getting there. We're getting better. But our defense is looking like our issue for the first time in a while. So with that, I'm going to finish off there with the Eagles. I'm going to move over to Flyers, and I'm going to pause for a word from Anchor. All right, so after that, let's jump right into the Flyers here. I'm going to go over the past four games that they played, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the uh, the trade deadline afterwards. So first off, I want to start with the three-game series in Pittsburgh. They were at Pittsburgh. So they started on Tuesday after a doubleheader over the weekend against the Sabres, where they won 3 nothing in both those games. But uh, So first game was on Tuesday. It was a 5-2 loss. You got... Goals from Joel Farabee for both of them, and another 30-plus shot game. The Flyers couldn't lock up on D. After each goal, there was another goal scored by the Penguins about a minute later, and Hart had four goals against in this game. The breakaway off an offensive turnover, and Kasperi Kapanen was zooming down the ice. There's not very many players in the NHL that you'll be able to catch on a breakaway. Uh, you got a couple of really nice passing plays. And the fifth goal, it's going to go as a goal against him because he wasn't off the ice yet, but it was not really his fault. He was being pulled from the bench, and the Penguins got the puck real quick and shot it into the empty net, and he tried to get back to stop it, but he couldn't. So it wasn't really his fault as he was trying to run to the bench, but it will count against him, unfortunately. Uh, This game... Showed more of a breakdown from the defensive players more than it did from Carter Hart. Carter Hart was jumping around the net trying to follow the passes all night as the Penguins were just passing all over us like we were a bunch of children. So they need to lock up on D more. And especially around Hart. They show when they play they trust Hart a little too much. It's good to have trust in your young goalie, but I mean he still needs time. He's The best way to help him get better is to be there so that he doesn't have to do everything. He's a very talented young player, but he can't face five on five on O's all the time. Like you got to give him some help. And I know he hasn't really faced a five on O, but it's just to get the point across that he's trying to be the only defensive player there. So they need to lock up more. They peppered the net more, which was good. But as you can see here, I mean, they had 30 plus shots in this game and they still lost 5 to 2. So as you can see, High shots don't lead to high goals. So, But then they go back, they go on Thursday, and they really bounce back after that Tuesday loss. They go down 3 nothing, and then they complete the comeback to win 4-3. Elliott shuts the door after the first three goals, which really helped the team rally. If the Pens scored while they were in the midst of that comeback, like at any point while well, it was 3-2, 3-1, anything. Even if they scored to make it 4-3 after they came back 3-3, that would have really killed the team, and I wouldn't have seen us winning after if they had scored after we were coming back. So, Elliott shuts the door after the first three goals, which really helped. You got goals from Couturier, Lawton, and Giroux, who had two goals, including the game winner. Uh, he's tied for third with Hayes in team points with 17. 
I want to go over something real quick that some people might not get. Claude Giroux is easily the most underrated Philadelphia athlete in the past decade. He is, number one, the captain. Number two, he has the fourth most points in the last decade in the NHL. He is easily top 10 in Flyers history to me. I mean, he is an amazing player. And I mean, if you looked at what he what he's done with the team he has around him, he has 750 points in the last decade, which is fourth behind Patrick Kane, Sidney Crosby, Alexander Ovechkin, all of three of one cups. And so that means that they have good teams around him. Claude Giroux has 750 points with really no one around him, except for now. He didn't really, except for Jacob Voracek and Couturier, he never really had anyone to be there to help him. So I think that he is extremely underrated. You got to give him credit for what he does. And I just think that he is easily the most underrated player in Philly. So I think we need to, we need to show him a little more love. Really underrated, so... He gets the game winner. Uh, then that'll take us into a 4-3 loss to the Penguins. You get goals from Travis Konechny, Kevin Hayes, and Ghost. Hopefully that goal will start to spark Konechny towards getting back into the season because he did not have an assist in the game on Thursday. So hopefully this goal will spark him back into the season and get him going because we need to get him going in order for him to, in order for us to win, honestly. Uh, he was our top goal, goal scorer last season, and he only has five this season. So we need to get him going. We look like we're playing a more defensive game in this one with only 22 shots on net. We're in front of Elliott this time. They look like they're locking up more in front of Elliott as opposed to Hart, which, like I said earlier, you need to lock up just as much, if not more, in front of Hart because he's younger. Elliott is seasoned. He's no, He knows what he's doing. So it was a good close game all the way to the end, and they let one in. And the last goal wasn't even really anyone's fault. I mean, it was a rebound shot. Elliott kicked the puck out off his pad on the first save, and it just kind of left the puck laying there in front of the net. And Jared McCann comes in and finishes that, and we just weren't able to come back and get that win. So overall, that was a good game. And then we go into Sunday for the first game, or the second game of the back-to-back against the Capitals. We had Penguins on Saturday, Caps on Sunday in Philadelphia. First game with uh, fans back in the stadium. You got Tom Wilson, who's suspended for seven games for a hit on Brendan Carlo, which is much deserved. I can't stand Tom Wilson. He's a dirty player. So he's not going to be in any of the games this week, which is big. But you get the first goal, first game with fans back in the stands, and everyone was going crazy. I was happy that there were fans back in the stands. I wish I was there, but we all know that's going to be super expensive now. Um, So... First goal, you really look like it's going to be a good game, hopefully. And then after that, everyone it just kind of goes downhill from there. You get a goal from Farabee on a good D-zone play from Coots, who springs Farabee forward, and he has JVR on the other side. And he takes a real good advantage of having JVR on the other side because he's able to make a decision there. He can either one, shoot, or pass to JVR. 
and he kind of makes a fake pass towards JVR to back off the defenseman and goes five hole on Samsonov. So that was a really good goal. That was a goal scorer's goal. He he looks like he's going to be really really bright player. And keep in mind now he has 11 even strength goals over the over the season. He had eight all last season, eight goals overall. So he has 11 even strength goals this season. And he's tied for first with Austin Matthews, Logan Couture, and Tyler Toffoli. Austin Matthews and Logan Couture are both elite players in the league and are goal scorers. Like they, they're snipers. They're known to score goals. So maybe that shows that Farabee's going to have a bright future. I hope he does. I, I really like the way he plays. Uh, so then after that, it goes downhill. Like I said, you end up losing 3-1 overall. You get two goals that are across the goalie, and they put it past uh, put it past Hart while he's trying to move from side to side while he's sliding. And the third goal was just, that just wasn't a, that was a good shot. You have low blocker, uh, snipe, and it gets past Hart, which really put the nail in the coffin. Uh, the refs were a little questionable throughout the entire game. They called questionable goalie interference on Travis Konechny after he's trying to drive the net looking for that puck just laying out in front. And a bunch of caps come in and just push him into the net, and somehow Konechny gets called for goalie interference. So, and then they miss a couple calls on Chara, who was holding holding a couple players, which led to a goal for the Caps. Uh, and so overall, this leads me into the next part, which is the power play. In the power play, we're 22nd in the NHL with 18% goal scoring on the power play. You're 2 for 17 in the past week is 11.7%. And in the last game, you go 0 for 4 against the Caps in the second game in a row against the Caps. In order to win games, they need to get the power play clicking. You can't just count on even strength goals. You need to start getting the power play clicking and take advantage of that. The number one team in the NHL has a 31% power play percentage. That's the Toronto Maple Leafs, who's number one in the NHL. And the Flyers are a good team. They did play. Okay, you also have to keep in mind these. This past week, they played six games in nine days, so you got to cut them a little bit of slack. They go three and three overall, but in the past six games, which isn't too shabby. But they need to start scoring on the power play. They go two for seventeen in the past week, which was awful. Own four against the Caps, so they really need to step it up on the power play in order to win games. So after that, I'm gonna go into a look ahead. I'm gonna look at the standings here. I'm going to talk about these games that we have upcoming. We got the Sabres on Tuesday, which hopefully will be another win, but the Sabres are coming off a couple losses straight. They're going to be looking for revenge. So we need to take advantage of that game and win there because the Sabres are a weak team. They have 15 points in 23 games. So they need to take advantage of that game and show the Sabres that they are the superior team. And then you got the Caps again on Thursday and Saturday, both at home, both with fans. All three of these games are at home. And then you got a two-series game. You start a two-game series against the Rangers on Monday. And the Rangers, again, are a decent team, but they're still four points behind the Flyers and are out of a playoff spot. But with that, so are the Flyers. Number one, you got the New York Islanders, 25 games played, 34 points. Number two, you got Washington, 24 games played, 32 points. Boston, 22 games played, 29 points. Pittsburgh, 24 games played, 29 points. Philadelphia, 22 games played, 27 points. The Flyers are seven points behind first place, but they're three point, they're three games, 
behind the Islanders. They have three games in hand. If they were to win all three games that they had in hand against the Islanders, they'd be right up there at 33 points. But the Flyers are in a real mix-up now because they're, they don't have another two-day break until April 1st and April 2nd. Every game, they only have one game in, they only have one day in between, which means that's going to be tiring because you're not going to get much practice in there. You're not going to get much rest in there. It's going to be a real grind. So Flyers are out of a playoff spot for the first time since the season started. And after them, you got the Rangers, 23 games played, 23 points. Devils, 21 games played, 18 points. And Buffalo, 23 games played, 15 points. But the Flyers are still in a good position. They got two games in hand against Washington, two games in hand against Pittsburgh. They're only two points behind Pittsburgh and Boston. They're five points behind Washington. So the Flyers are not in a bad spot. They still have a couple games in hand on these other teams ahead of them. But I'd like to see them be higher, clearly. With that, I'm going to jump into the Phillies. Phillies, just real quick, uh, it's not really much going on. It's spring training, and you don't really look for much in spring training. Uh, you got a couple players returning. You got Hoskins returns from a five-month recovery from ligament surgery, and he says he feels the best he has in a while, so it's good to see him come back. Bryce comes back off of having a sore back, and he blasts a homer in his first at-bat of spring training. And Jelly Toast, uh, JT Real Muto, who is recovering from a broken thumb, he's not played in spring training, but he is on pace to play on opening day. And I don't know what's going to happen if he doesn't get to play in spring training. Because, I mean, I think as a baseball player, you're going to need a little bit of a couple pitches to look at before you go into a real game for real standings and for a real playoff run. So we'll see what happens with him. And then Adubo Herrera coming back, comes off the pause since May of 2019. He hasn't played since May of 2019 after domestic violence allegations and an 85-game suspension from the MLB. Dan Girardi says he's, pl- he's impressed by the way he's playing for coming off of this long break and that he is the front runner for the center field position right now, especially with Hazley on an injury and Roman Quinn, who isn't a really strong hitter. I think he has a real good shot of getting his center field position back. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. I mean, we still got another month before we go into the actual season. Spring training overall, Phillies are 3-4-1. and one. You got one big blowout win, 15-0 against the Yankees, but you also got a lot of close games, and it shows the organizational depth could use some work, but they're still getting there. And also, I mean, like, it shows that the starters are trying to just get back into the way that they're playing, and they they need to in order to do good this season, because last season, I think we were, we went under the radar. We I think we, I think we can be a good team. I think the NL East is the best team in the ML, best division in the MLB. You got the Braves, who are going to the playoffs every year, the Nationals, who just won a World Series, the Mets, who are on the rise, the Phillies, who are on the rise, and the Marlins also just won, went to the playoffs. So, I mean, you've got five teams who could potentially be in the playoffs. So, I think that's the best division in the MLB. So, in order for the Phillies to get to the playoffs, they're going to have to play better than they do as a typical Philly team. So, we'll see how that all plays out. With that, I'm going to end it off there.
and I will see you guys next week. And we just got to keep them bells ringing, hopefully. So, all right. See you guys next week.